2: What in the 2010 is happening?
3: Car coming up Downing Street. I'm not quite sure who this might be. That's the security detail just opening the door for. David. David Cameron. Cameron.
4: What? Wait. I was not expecting okay. that.
2: David Cameron, back in from the cold, walking up Downing Street to be made Lord Cameron, Foreign Secretary.
0: My gob has been smacked. My flabber has been gasted. I am a gog. David Cameron is the new foreign secretary. This
2: is huge. Just moments after the Home Secretary Suella Braverman was handed her ministerial P forty five.
4: There she is. Street Home Secretary, you have to get sacked. Breaking news in the last
0: ten minutes: Suella Braverman being sacked.
4: Suella didn't have the ministerial experience to be Home Secretary. I think it was doomed from the start.
3: When she is the person saying, the country, the house is on fire, and she shouts, fire! When you say she is the problem, you're part of the problem.
2: With one in and one out in two of the great officers of state, what does a reanimated former Prime Minister in Cabinet and the scorned Home Secretary out of it mean for a party in opinion poll palliative care? Is this the return of Cameron's big tent politics? And will Bravman now be outside it, pissing in? You're listening to Stories of Our Times, from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Luke Jones. Today. Dave in, Sue out.
5: My name's Stephen Swinford, I'm the political editor of The Times, and I'm sitting here in The Times' Westminster office on the day of the reshuffle. And if you can hear clattering in the background and voices in the background, that's because it's very busy here. There's a lot going on with the reshuffle, so lots of people are writing copy for the website and making calls. But that's where we are today, right in the heart of Westminster.
2: Steve, take us through your morning on Monday. When did you first realise that the reshuffle was afoot?
5: We've actually known for several days that it was coming. It was just a question of when, Hmm. shortly before 8.30, we got the message that it was on and it was happening.
2: And Swella Bravman being sacked, where does that sit on your spectrum of surprise?
5: Definitely is not a surprise. We had been expecting Swella Bravman to be sacked for quite a long time. Um, Rishi Sunak and his people have wanted her out of that role for, I think it's fair to say, months. That came to head recently with a series of clashes between Downing Street and the Home Office, culminating... In her sacking, but it is not a surprise. It was something that we were expecting.
2: Yes. So if you're expecting it, you felt like a reshuffle was coming anywhere. It was a question of when. Uh, the grid was being cleared for Monday. Take me through your surprise, though, when you first saw David Cameron's face emerging from a big car on Downing Street.
5: So most things in the Sunak administration have leaked. They've struggled, really struggled to keep anything close to the centre. But the one thing that did not leak was the appointment of David Cameron as the foreign secretary. No one saw it coming at all. In fact, it's fair to say people probably assumed the opposite. Very recently, David Cameron was castigating Rishi Sunak for scrapping the northern leg of HS2. Mm. He was saying that he was failing to take decisions in britain's long-term interests uh, and it, it looked, missed out on a once-in-a-generation opportunity so it was a genuine surprise and there are very few of them in uh, politics a hmm. marmalade dropper as we would call it uh, when david cameron suddenly rocks up in downing street and walks back through the doors of number 10
2: hmm. what, what were you doing when the news dropped so you just paint, paint a picture for us of where you were and, and what the reactions of you and those around you were
5: yeah, I just arrived in, in the office. Just I was sitting at my desk, and I was contemplating how we would write stories about Suella Bravman, which was expected to be the dominant story. And it changed the narrative immediately. It changed the discussion around the story, the discussion around the reshuffle, which is what Number Ten would have wanted. Hmm. It became a conversation about David Cameron: is he an asset? Is he an issue? How will this change the course of the government? And what is Rishi Sunak trying to do here?
2: And we'll get into that in a moment. But first of all, in terms of how this is even possible, David Cameron isn't an MP. I mean, he's now a peer. Just explain what had to be done to actually allow him to sit in government.
5: So quite simply, you have to be a member of the Commons or the Lords if you want to sit in government. So almost immediately, they have elevated him to the House of Lords. Now, that sounds relatively straightforward. Indeed, it is. The government has the power to do that. And the King has now granted that peerage. But it also creates a problem because it means that When there are big issues of foreign policy, David Cameron, the foreign secretary, will not be able to update the Commons. He'll be updating the Lords and they won't be able to be questioned by MPs on select committees. He'll be questioned by the Lords. Hmm. So what it means is a lot of the power and authority goes over to the Lords rather than the Commons where you traditionally expect it. Yes.
2: And there are two sides to him, I guess, joining government. Firstly, why would David Cameron want, want to do it? Are you clear in your mind about why he would say yes to something like this?
5: So there are suggestions that this is unfinished business for David Cameron. He obviously left office in dramatic circumstances after losing the EU referendum. but he was relatively young as a prime minister, uh, and it was a very sudden and terminal end, it seemed, to his political career. And he's since then spent his time basically in the wilderness. People have suggested that he's bored, that he lacks kind of some unifying purpose and the purpose that government once gave him. He's embroiled or been embroiled in a series of of quite significant scandals, some of the biggest scandals we've seen for a former prime minister. So this gives him a chance to kind of rewrite his political career and set his own legacy. Hmm.
2: And that gives him a chance to do that. But why would Rishi Sunak want him? Um, Somebody who, I don't know, must be a challenge to have around the cabinet table, someone who has done your job for longer.
5: So the benefit for Rishi Sunak is that David Cameron is someone of significant international standing. And at this point in time, when the foreign policy brief is particularly heavy and there's a lot going on geopolitically, you would want someone like David Cameron because he knows the world leaders. He can you know, deal with the Israel situation, deal with the Ukraine situation. So from that sense, he's seen as a heavy hitter. Mm. But there are significant downsides and risks with him as well.
2: And on that point about him being a big hitter on the international stage, are there not a lot of minuses on his international record when we think about what he tried to renegotiate with the EU or what he presided over with the response to Syria or what happened in Libya? I mean, there's a lot of negatives on the chart, aren't
5: there? There are a lot of negatives on the chart and some very controversial foreign policy decisions. There is still some ill will towards him in Europe over Brexit, even if compared to what came next and some of the rows that they had subsequent to him put him in a better light. So he doesn't have an unsullied reputation on the international stage, far from it. But what he does have is he's on first name terms with lots of these people. Mm -hmm. He has their phone numbers. And if you want someone to be able to pick up these significant briefs at this time, He's, he's probably someone that can do that.
2: Yeah. The other section of this that we haven't mentioned is China. It was him and George Osborne, of course, who wanted to issue in this golden age of relations between the UK and China. That is not the approach of the current Conservative government. In fact, it was only a month or so ago that, that you were reporting him in the United Arab Emirates getting involved in promoting some projects which had lots of Chinese money in it. Explain the complications afoot there on that hot issue.
5: So there is a historic complication in that David Cameron and George Osborne ushered in the golden age of relations between the UK and China, which was supposed to be a terrific era of trade and kind of breaking down the economic barriers. And the debate shifted dramatically after he left. And it became... The government's approach and view that actually China was attempting to mobilize all aspects of the state to influence the West and to gain advantage, including economic aspects, the very ones that he ushered in as part of a golden age. And What you can expect is a lot of people will be digging over that work that David Mm. Cameron's done more recently. So he comes with a degree of scandals that are likely to come over those issues.
2: And do you think that that will be a challenge for him just because they will be quite loud noises off in the pages of The Times and other newspapers and in the media? Or will it actually be something which will trouble him round the cabinet table and while he's trying to actually do the business of government as well?
5: I mean, he's, he's been Prime Minister, he's been under extraordinary pressure before and still done the business of government. But it will bring stories. Mm. It was very controversial. So he, he promoted a big port in Sri Lanka, um, which has got huge levels of Chinese investment. Now, he wasn't paid directly by the Chinese for that, but it was very controversial when that emerged a few weeks ago. And there are certain voices both within government and some people outside the cabinet and some people on the backbenches, who are very concerned about how closely he has worked with China.
4: Today, I resign from all of those things, from all of the businesses I've been helping and all the other things I've been doing, including being a professor at NYU. That all stops. I now have one job as Foreign Secretary of the United Kingdom and I'm very proud to work with our Prime Minister to try and make sure our country can be as secure and as prosperous as possible.
2: Do you think that he will suit falling into line under the Prime Minister, uh, somebody who's been used to being in charge, all of a sudden having to maybe watch what he says because it might diverge from what the Prime Minister thinks, You know, whether that's on China, whether that's on foreign aid spending or even HS2, as you mentioned. Do, do you think he'll be good at that and able to
5: do that? I think it could be quite challenging for him because he's obviously someone who knows his own mind and someone who knows what he thinks. We saw that very recently with his the way he kind of completely laid into Rishi Sunak over high-speed rail and his decision to cancel the northern leg of that. He did not hold back. And he has released on taking this job a very long statement in which he kind of says that you called me here to help and I'm I'm here to help.
4: On the whole, as uh, an ex-prime minister, I've tried to keep quiet about politics, stay out of politics. It's hard enough being prime minister without having your successors endlessly, or predecessors endlessly giving a running commentary. But look, of course I've disagreed with some individual decisions, but politics is a team enterprise. I've decided to join this team because I believe Rishi Sunak is a good Prime Minister, doing a difficult job at a hard time. I want to support him. I'm a member of the team and I accept the Cabinet collective responsibility that comes with that.
5: And he hails uh, Rishi Sunak as someone who's showing exemplary leadership at a difficult time but it's a very unusual statement and it goes on for paragraph after paragraph after paragraph so he has a sense of his own worth and value he's not going to challenge Rishi Sunak he is genuinely here to help but equally he will command a certain amount of attention and gravity as he does this job yeah. which which could contrast with with Rishi Sunak as he faces his own issues
2: Coming up, what does all of this tell us about Rishi Sunak's strategy as we edge closer and closer to a general election? That's in a moment.
1: Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials?
2: Let's not get completely distracted by Lord Cameron, as he is now, and uh, remember what happened actually with the, the Home Secretary, which in any normal day would be a huge story by itself. In terms of what happened in the build-up to Suella sacking, do we know how we got to this point? Because obviously she wrote that spicy Times comment piece in the middle of last week. Why did it take until Monday? What happened with her and her relationship with the Prime Minister over the weekend and before that actually ended up with her being sacked?
5: So the key moment was when she suggested that people who were sleeping rough were doing so as a lifestyle choice.
3: We must make sure that we don't go down the same route as some cities in the US, like San Francisco or Seattle, where living in a tent has become a lifestyle choice and with it has brought drug use, criminality and antisocial behaviour.
5: Which was seen as loose language and led to a huge number of complaints in the Conservative Party. And that was off the back of a Conservative Party conference speech in which she attracted a controversy for saying that the West was facing a hurricane of migration.
3: The wind of change that carried my own parents across the globe in the 20th century was a mere gust compared to the hurricane that is coming. Because today, The option of moving from a poorer country to a richer one is not just a dream for billions of people. It is an entirely realistic prospect.
5: Which caused a massive backlash from Tory MPs. And she also questioned uh, whether homosexuals should be able to claim asylum solely on the basis of their sexuality.
3: We will not be able to sustain an asylum system if, in effect, simply being gay or a woman, or fearful of discrimination in your country of origin, is sufficient to qualify for protection.
5: Uh, That again caused a huge controversy at the time. Ministers are among
2: more than a dozen gay Conservative MPs to complain to the Chief Whip over Suella Braverman's speech on immigration. The so-called Pink Wall group warned that these comments could tarnish the party's reputation on LGBT issues and cost votes.
5: So she was already causing a lot of party management issues The chief whip, Simon Hart, was inundated with complaints about her conduct. And it became something that Sunak felt that he had to deal with. The Times article, if you like, was the icing on the cake.
3: Swala Bravman's piece in The Times has made lots of jaws drop. At the heart of it is the accusation that the police are biased towards left-wing
4: protesters and against the right. Strong words. Controversial words. Words which have already been condemned on this programme by the former chief inspector of the police for threatening the operational independence of the police.
5: That was the, ultimately led to they felt that she'd gone rogue and that she had written an article that had not got the full clearance of Downing Street before it appeared in the Times. But actually, the breakdown in relations came long before that. She would never have been Rishi Sunak's choice of Home Secretary, but he did choose her because it was a time when he felt originally he needed to unite the party. Yeah. And she was someone that he felt could do that. But now we're a kind of a year out for, less than a year out from a general election, and Rishi Sunak you know, wants to do it his way. So her value is spent, in mm-hmm. his view, and the risk of her is outweighing the benefit.
2: And so if that Times article was the final nail then, as Charles as Corrin said uh, online, sacked for an NAF column in the Times, um, there but for the grace of God go all of us, what accounted for the delay? Because that's quite difficult for the Prime Minister, isn't it? If he sort of decided that was going to be it, but then let it drag on for days.
5: Well, what you've got to remember is this is just a few days of delay. This reshuffle has actually been delayed for the best part, four or five months. Uh. It was originally, it was suggesting it should take place when Ben Wallace stood down as Defence Secretary. they have been mooting it and mooting it and mooting it. It felt like the time was wrong again and again. And over the weekend, so the more recent delay was partly because of the uh, protests and the events that were on Saturday, that it would have looked quite unusual to sack your Home Secretary on the weekend of huge protests in central London and also on the weekend of Remembrance Sunday. So it was mm. seen as better to wait till after that God, and to yeah. do it on the Monday rather than to do, going into the weekend mm. of that. But actually, this whole reshuffle until today has spoken to Rishi Sunak's desire to kind of delay and not be buffeted by events. Yeah. Uh, he likes to do things his way. He likes to try to control the narrative and today, I think he feels he's doing that. But this has been a long time coming, and the delay in and of itself has become a source of instability within the Conservative Party. Are you
2: one of the people who subscribes to the idea that Swella Braverman, after being sacked on Monday, will have gone home, looked in the mirror and told herself, great, this is the next stage in my plan to take over the leadership after a general election in which Rishi Sunak could well fail?
5: Swella Braverman's view is that she is better off out of this cabinet than in it that she does not want to be tethered or tied to what this government is doing in the, in the rest of the next year. Yes, there have been significant improvements. It doesn't realistically look like they're going to stop the boats in the literal sense of the phrase, even if the numbers crossing the English Channel are down. And her politics are so different from Rishi Sunak's, and so different from the government's, that actually – she was already within government thinking about the kind of future beyond Rishi Sunak, thinking about what comes next. And this will give her the opportunity to actually pursue that very openly. Mm. And this Wednesday, we are going to hit a massive potential crossroads in the future of the Conservative Party. So the Supreme Court is coming back to rule on whether the government's policy of sending migrants to Rwanda is legal or not. And if it deems that it's illegal uh, and it breaches the Human Rights Act, the Tory right will go to war over it. They will say you need to leave the European Convention on Human Rights. And surprise, surprise, Sue Anna is likely to be the leading figure in that debate. Mm. Now, we get an idea of where Rishi Sunak is going because he has appointed James Cleverley to succeed Sue Anna as Home Secretary. And James Cleverley in the past has made very clear that he believes that Britain should remain a member of the European Convention on Human Rights. So what you've got coming up is a potential issue should the Supreme Court go against the government that could galvanise the Tory right and basically lead to yet another civil war in the Conservative Mm. Party, which you would think is probably the last thing they need in the run-up to a general election.
2: But hasn't Rishi Sunak always had to worry about the right of his party being galvanized, be that under an ousted Boris Johnson or Liz Truss and maybe now sweller Bravman. I mean, do you think he's at any more risk than he has been previously?
5: No, I don't think he's at risk, but I think the difference now is until now, people have not felt that they they didn't want to sort of tip the balance completely because obviously they've been burned by events and the recent disarray. But you're gonna to get to a point where People feel that they've got nothing to lose. And if they get the Mm -hmm. right issue, like the European Convention on Human Rights, that you could have some very public warfare over the kind of future of the party and where it goes from here. Now, he's made a calculation that the numbers on the right aren't enough to kind of significantly disrupt what he wants to do, and that if there is a war, he's going to win it. He is the government. He is in number 10, and we are close to an election, and people will ultimately close ranks as that election draws closer. Mm. But I'm talking to people in red wall seats this afternoon. They are feeling disenfranchised, they are feeling alienated, and they are feeling angry. And I I think when people are feeling like that, they do some pretty desperate things. So it, it could be one hell of a fight coming down the line for the Conservative Party.
2: And what do you think this says about where the party and Rishi Sunak's pitch at the election is going, that we have quite quickly gone from a point at which we've had a party of, you know, a bit more of a centre-right Rishi Sunak with Suella Bravman as his home secretary, Lee Anderson saying sort of quite shocking things on the airwaves, to all of of a sudden a party where David Cameron is back. It seems like it's shifting back into the sort of Cameroon big tent era. Is that, you you think, purposeful and what he's trying to actually make his pictures being?
0: Yes,
5: it's far more centrist, right? If you look at the great offices of state, you've got Rishi Sunak in number 10, you've got Jeremy Hunt, the Chancellor, in number 11, you've got James Cleverley as Home Secretary, and you've now got David Cameron as Foreign Secretary. These are all kind of very centrist Tory MPs. Arguably, the, the most right wing of them is actually Rishi Sunak himself, who, despite disagreements with Surenna Bravman over her tone and rhetoric actually agreed with her on lots of policies. So you take migration, they both wanted to stop the boats. They were both backing Rwanda. So actually Rishi Sunak himself is probably weirdly the probably the most right wing of his, his cabinet. He's a kind of curious mix of someone with centrist instincts but also some quite hard right positions.
2: But now by aligning himself with someone like David Cameron, does that make it even harder for him to try and, Rishi Sunak, to try and present himself as the change candidate?
5: That's the big risk. So the biggest risk of David Cameron's appointment is not his position that he's previously held on foreign policy. It is what it means for domestic policy. Mm. Labour has been trying to get its argument, with a large degree of success, that this is 13 years of Tory government, 13 years of the same thing, and Rishi Sunak is an extension of that. And the Rishi Sunak number 10 strategy had been to say, ah. We are divorcing from the past. Look at me at Conservative Party conference. I am taking difficult decisions. I am reversing the decisions of Conservative predecessors over high-speed rail. I am going against the grain. I am new. I am the change candidate. But by appointing David Cameron, the man who oversaw austerity, You associate him with Brexit, with allowing the EU referendum to take place. By doing all of those things, he had drawn a direct line between his administration and that of David Cameron's. And that, for Labour, is a total gift. They are delighted with that today because it helps make their case for them that this Mm. is all the same government. And it is a big shift in strategy for number 10.
2: Who knows how the headlines of this reshuffle will settle with voters. But just after those changes were announced, YouGov conducted a snap poll that suggested that 57% of voters think it's right to sack Suella Bravman, but only 24% thought it was a good idea to hire David Cameron. And elsewhere in this reshuffle, because it wasn't just those two, of course, we've not just got a new Foreign and Home Secretary. Victoria Atkins is the new Health Secretary for England, the fifth in 18 months And soon we'll have our 16th Housing Minister since the Conservatives came to power in 2010. Rachel McLean was sacked. She was meant to be introducing the Renters' Reform Bill to a House of Commons committee today, but now won't. That means since 2010, she'd have found more secure employment as Chelsea manager than Housing Minister. All the latest twists and turns, including what is happening at tomorrow's Rwanda ruling at the Supreme Court, is available for subscribers at The Times .co.uk. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times, with me, Luke Jones, and my guest, political editor at The Times, Steve Swinford. More election analysis and predictions and chat is on Times Radio's new podcast, How to Win an Election, three of the biggest election brains of the past few decades together at last Peter Mandelson Danny Finkelstein and Polly McKenzie every Tuesday the producer here today was Sam Chantarasak the executive producer was James Shield and sound design was by Tom Birchall and a special thanks for our music today goes to Thomas Hewitt Jones who composed it it's David Cameron's Lament in C Minor composed just after David Cameron's resignation in 2016 with you'll remember that motif which will surely echo down the ages
4: Thank you very much. Right.
0: Planning for your next trip?